This is Manifest Zone, the podcast that explores the breadth and depth of the world of Eberron as a tabletop RPG setting. I'm one of your hosts, Christian Serrano. And I'm Keith Baker. And in this episode, uh, we're, we're going to dive into Kalistar and sort of trying to understand uh, the alien mindset of, of the Kalistar as a people. And, uh, and of course, you know, we'll delve into them as player, as, as player characters, as well as, um, tools for the GM for their campaign. Um, it's possible that we might have so much material that we end up splitting this, but it's also possible that we might end up condensing it into one episode. So we'll see how it goes. And, and it's uh, possible that it's all a dream. Indeed. indeed. You never know. You never know. So, um, Keith, you've, you, you obviously have a lot uh, that you've done um, with regards to Kalistar. Um, uh, one thing, uh, for anybody who's not familiar with them at all, um, way back when, before Eberron even launched as a product, there was a Gearing Up for Eberron, uh, Mind Games in Eberron, which talks about the Kalistar and the Dreaming Dark. Uh, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with it, it's sort of a free way that you can kind of dive into it and get an understanding of what's going on or listen to the show. That's another way. Um and Keith, you wrote uh, a very verbose chapter on Kalistar and Races of Eberron, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the best chapters in that book. Why, thank you. Um, there's some really good flavor that, that came out of that, and we'll talk about some of that uh, today. Uh, and of course, there's a number of Dragon Shard articles, uh, Psionics and Eberron, Blades of the Quarry, and of course, two parts of The Reach of Redra, which can also add a lot of material. So uh, we'll have links to those in the show notes for anybody who wants to do a little bit extra homework. Um I want to kick off a question for you, Keith. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the design intent of Kalistar in Eberron? Uh, were they just a solution to fitting psionics into the setting? Was it something more? And and why a, a sort of planar cosmological tie? Well, the Kalistar do a couple of different things. And one of the things that's worth noting is Eberron evolved in sort of four distinct stages. You know, it began as literally one page with the fantasy setting search. It was just an idea for a setting. That then evolved into a 10-page sort of expansion of that idea, which then evolved into a 125-page setting Bible, which then uh, the Wizards team and I worked on for a year to make actual Eberron as we know it. And uh, the main thing is that the, the Kalistar, although originally called the Inspired, actually appeared in the second stage, uh, and in that they predate the Warforged. So just a sort of minor note that they were sort of there. They were the, the, the one race that I was originally from the start saying we're adding a new race and it's this. Uh, even though at that time I was mainly doing things like doppelgangers and goblins and not focusing on adding completely new races. And what the Kalistar do is two things. The first is, as you suggested, they, had, you know, they make a place for psionics. Uh, in Eberron. And I've been playing D&D since the white box. And I remember in the first edition AD&D, there's this big uh, appendix on psionics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of from day one, it was always there. But from day one, uh, it generally felt like it didn't belong. You know, with the exception of Dark Sun, which went sort of all out and made psionics sort of deeply part of the setting. Generally, psionics has always felt like, eh, it's this extra set of rules you can drop in, but it doesn't really belong in our otherwise fantasy setting. And so what I wanted was for it to have a definite place in the world, and yet at the same time for that to be a place that a game master who didn't like it could basically push it off into a corner and ignore it. And so thus what you end up with is most, you know, uh, the continent of Sarlona has a very psionic intensive culture, mm-hmm. but hey, if you don't like it, don't go there. Uh, and then meanwhile, you have um, the Kalistar uh, and to a certain degree, the cults of the dragon below. But again, because they're in the shadows, they're in the background, a game master can just say, oh, they're just too weird. I don't want to deal with them. And so it's this way of saying psionics has a thought out real place in the world without it actually being uh, dependent on it. Now, I said a couple different things. And the other thing is I have always really liked working with dreams. Uh, And the very first thing I had professionally published was for the role-playing game uh, Over the Edge. And it was 
a basically over the edges sort of modern day Twilight Zone Illuminati sort of thing. And it was a conspiracy that basically manipulated dreams and lived in dreams. In one of my other uh, computer games I developed, I developed, again, a uh, culture of people who basically were spirits from the dream world that animated uh, sort of mannequins to enter, interact with people in our world. So that concept of playing with dreams and exploring dreams and creatures of dream coming to our world has always been something uh, that I have found interesting. And that's something you get both with the Kalistar who are touched by dreams, uh, but then you also have more concretely in the Dreaming Dark, which is back to being that conspiracy lurking in dreams uh, and manipulating the waking world. Nice. And you, correct me if I'm wrong, you did a chapter in a book on Oniromancy, was that uh, correct? Oniromancy, yes. Right. Uh, that was uh, Atlas Games. It was a book called... I want to say it was called Arcane Lore, but I could be wrong, but it's something like that. It was a source book. Oh, Occult Lore. Right. Uh, it was a source book of magical traditions. And yes, exactly that. I did a whole chapter on a neuromancy that included both dream magic and uh, a, a class that focused on it, but also just a whole section on how to incorporate dreams into uh, a fantasy role-playing game. Right. Uh, both as a area you could explore, but also just ideas for what can you do with, you know, dreams as prophetic visions or things like that. Um, that's something I've honestly thought about writing up for the uh, DMs Guild, just because it's not especially uh, sort of setting specific. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. in Eberron, it has a very specific role because Eberron has Dalcor as the dream world. But the concept of using dreams can apply to any fantasy setting. Right, right. And and, and there was an article uh, in Dragon Magazine mm -hmm. um, about, the, I think, some of the creatures in Dalcor and, and yep. you know, role-playing in dreams and such as well, yep. I believe. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting because you mentioned that the idea of, of the way psionics was incorporated into Eberron was such that you could leave it mm -hmm. uh, and ignore it. But what I also liked was that you know, if you look at Sarlona as, as a continent or even the source book, Secrets of Sarlona, um, it's almost a campaign setting unto itself. Absolutely. And one of the things I like about Sarlona is Sarlona does for psionics what uh, Corvair does for arcane magic, mm -hmm. which is to say, if this existed and it was a tool, how would it affect society? And, you know, what I like is that Raedra has, you know, sort of various advances and techniques that make their society very different. Uh, you know, setting aside the presence of the inspired themselves, uh, just their, the ways they handle communication and transportation and things like that are very different. Uh, and, of course, to a large degree, that was specifically working off of what Cyanics could do in third edition. And, you know, now things have, have different. One of the things was... Uh, Teleportation mm -hmm. was much more of a defined psionic ability in third edition, whereas fourth edition, you know, moved in teleport circles and things like that into the realm of arcane magic. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but as in third edition, that's sort of one of the defining things of Redra is they have sort of institutionalized teleportation, uh, which, you know, we don't have in, right. uh, um, in Corvair. Right, because they even and, have uh, like um, what are they? What do they call them? Teleportation circles in yep, Kabara, yep. for example. Yeah, yeah, and part of the idea is to me, it's fun to then explore if you have that technology, so to speak. How does that affect a civilization? And so with uh, Kabara, you have these these giant sort of bastion garrisons, and it's a matter of they can sort of quickly distribute forces or resources. Uh, sort of between regions by moving through the bastions. Um, and it just, again, changes sort of what your, your culture looks like. And it specifically works very well for Rhaedra, where it is a very unified culture, you know, mm -hmm. uh, much more so than, uh, than Corvair. And you have the concept of essentially they distribute their news through sort of telepathic broadcasts and, in fact, dreams. Right. Uh, you know, so it's got the sort of big brother aspect because essentially their answer to telescreens is they program your dreams. 
Right. Right. Um, and one of the things I've always liked there, just as long as we're talking about sort of weird little details, is the idea that one of the most disturbing things for a Redren who comes to Corvair is the fact that they suddenly start dreaming. Because while you're in Redra, you're just dreaming the state-mandated dream. You know, your dreams are sort of oh, right. carefully programmed for you. And you're getting news and you're getting what they want you to get. And suddenly you go to... Uh, Corvair and you're dreaming about, you know, being in high school with no pants and right. you've, you've never had this kind right. of dream before, you know, so suddenly it's just chaos. Um, and I never thought of that. Yeah. And that, and to clarify that we're talking about regions, not inspired or we're talking about regions, not inspired. Right. And right. this, this ties to the idea that the regions, what we've always said is that they see the inspired as their protectors. Uh, and that they see the people of Corvair as essentially chaotic and, uh, you know, uh, divided and violent. And, and the how could they not be? You know, they don't even share dreams, you know? Right, right. Um, so as I said, I really like that kind of thinking about if you have this kind of thing, just little details like that, that really mean it's a very different civilization than what we're used to. And, and that whole idea of, you may look at the Redren and think, oh, poor guys, they're they're under, you know, alien oppression. But pull them away from that and they'd be like, oh my goodness, what have you done to us? Right. You know, you've made it's me comfort. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I mean, it's back to a theme you see in places like Zilargo has the same basic theme of what are we willing to give up for security? Mm-hmm. And this is something that came up uh, on my website recently talking about uh, Aranal and the Suagan. And one of the whole things to me is when you're creating a fantasy world, you have this basic choice of do you create something that is idealized, something that's the way we want the world to be, or do you create something that's flawed because it's A, interesting to explore what that can be like, and B, that creates the possibility for adventure. Right. You know, if the world's perfect, it doesn't need it. Right, exactly. Everything's great. Um, and so yeah. to me, Zilargo is supposed to be scary. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be sort of like, you know, essentially it's... it's uh, Thought police and such. Was the yeah. thought police and minority report was what right. I was thinking about. It's that right. whole principle of they basically justified that uh, it's all right to preemptively assassinate people in order to get rid of crime. And mm-hmm. it means they right. don't have crime um, for right. the most part. <laughs> or their criminals are very clever, uh, but but that's a civilization I would be I wouldn't want to live in it. Um, and so you know, again, to me, this gives us the opportunity to explore things like that and to really think about what are you willing to give up, you know, in exchange. Right. But we're venturing way off culture, uh, off topic yeah. from from Kalistar, so let's dial ourselves back. Yeah. So, uh, so one of the one of the, the core concepts of the of the Kalistar is that they are um, they're 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 dual minded individuals, right? So these are uh, quarry spirits mm-hmm. um, that uh, have merged with human bodies. And what I find fascinating is the idea of of this race where you know it originated from these quarry from these other planar extra planar creatures who were um, they were basically fleeing. Um, religious persecution right essentially Um, i mean you could argue that it's religious uh, persecution or you could argue that they are essentially Mm -hmm. fallen angels you know or in this case they're Mm -hmm. risen devils you know risen devils right they are uh extra dimensional spirits are sort of incarnations of ideas uh dalcor goes through phases where it sort of cycles between dark and light or maybe dark and and gray and light right uh and that um, the ancestors of the Kalistar are spirits who shifted away from sort of allegiance to the Dreaming Dark. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, one can question, were they, did that make them spirits of light or did it just make them not pure evil? Uh, But it certainly meant, you know, that they basically were against the, the, the Dreaming Dark and especially... Part of the idea with um, Dalcor is it goes through these cycles and that with each cycle, it sort of does an implosion and a big bang back out where the uh, the whole plane sort of changes 
to uh, this new stage and all the spirits are sort of sucked into it and then spit out in the new form that fits the age. Right, it's an right. age of light. We may have been a dark spirit before, but we're going to grind you up and put you back out as a light spirit. Right. They're literally and, embodiment of whatever the theme of that plane of the of Dalcor is at that time. Right. And mm. the concept of the Dreaming Dark is that they are literally trying to hold off this change. Like their whole interest in controlling the world to the degree that they do is in their opinion it's their their stab at salvation mm-hmm. they're saying that when this happens it will completely destroy us and so that's one of the reasons that i call the dreaming dark out is much more unified than you often see like devils and demons and things like that is because they have this vital cause that is literally their survival as you know, right. The entity. Right. With devils and demons, you have vying for power, uh, you know, within different regions or domains of those, of those planes. And, um, and I definitely call out that that sort of thing is much rarer. It's not that it's not there and that certainly they can disagree about methods, but that they are much more unified because this is about their survival. Right. Their end goal is the same. Right. Ultimately. Uh, whereas the idea is that the, the quarry tied to the Kalistar essentially both embrace the concept of change. This is what's supposed to happen. Uh, and that's why I'm saying some of them are, uh, are, are straight up good, but some of them I think you can just say they just believe we shouldn't be trying to alter the natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we also especially shouldn't be trying to manipulate Eberron to stop it. And so one way or another... You have 66 Quarry who have turned against El Nashtabar, the Dreaming Dark. Right. Uh, and sorry about that background noise. Um, and uh, I have a dog with a very noisy dog toy. <laughs> um, so turned against the, the spirit of Dal Quar uh, and thus were persecuted because the idea is if you can kill an, you know, an immortal spirit, it'll get sucked back into the core and spit back out most likely in a corrected form, that they are sort of aberrations that the Dreaming Dark wants to consume and and recreate. Oh, interesting. Okay. So when so when a quarry spirit, when in particular one of those quarry spirits were killed, then they would actually be sort of, I guess, reincarnated, if you will. For, so when any uh, immortal spirit is killed, the idea is immortal spirits are all extensions of their plane. Right. And when they're killed, they just sort of are absorbed back into the, you know, the energy. The idea is energy doesn't go away. Right. So this is why the only way to deal with an immortal permanently is to uh, bind it, you know, sort of mm-hmm. take that energy out of circulation. Uh, but if you destroy it, it just goes back into the system and eventually is spat back out. But the idea is, again, if they're flawed, if they're, they're not supposed to be good, uh, if we destroy them, then we manage to... Uh, you know, we create them. And so this is why the quarry eventually fled. Right. So basically, they're just sort of running around on the edges of Dalcor trying to avoid being caught. But part of the point is eventually they will get caught. Eventually they'll get run down. And so they reach out to Eberron because mortals have connections to Dalcor. It's an inherent thing. We dream. Uh, and they basically reach through that connection, find people who are willing to be hosts for them, and bond with those people who become the first Kalistar. Right. But the idea, again, is that the spirit isn't bound to a single host. They're bound to the bloodline of that host. And as long as any member of that bloodline is alive, then the quarry has a haven. Right. And so this is the whole point, is that in order for the Dreaming Dark to fully destroy one of these rebel quarry, they have to first eliminate their entire line. Right. Uh, and so that is part of what the Kalashar are doing just by existing, is they're preserving these rebel spirits. And there is one known case in which one lineage was actually that completely destroyed, right? And that's terrible. That is correct. And what we don't know is if that means she was destroyed as well, or if it means that she's just out there unanchored uh, in hiding. Right. It means that if she's destroyed, then she gets recycled back into the system and is probably lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another possibility. You know, basically with Teratai, you have that choice of saying, we're going to have an adventure where we discover that she's out there and we can try and help her. 
Or you could have an adventure where you discover that she's actually, you know, one of the inspired now. That, yeah. you know, uh, that, that your big inspired villain is in fact the, the you know, altered spirit of Teratai. And is there any way to sort of, re- you know, redeem her again? Uh, or is she lost? And if I recall correctly, in, in Races of Ebron, um, there was also mention of another spirit that actually just got lost. Yeah, I think uh, that's during the correct. migration, right? Which I thought yeah. was another interesting. And and this is the point to me of to me it is not saying that sixty six is a magic number and there will never be any more benevolent quarry. Right, there could be uh, more. Mm-hmm. I played in a. Uh, I was on the live stream for uh, called Manifest, not Manifest Zone. That's us, Major <laughs> Yes. And I played what was essentially another rebel quarry, and it was just the idea of well, I was a recent one, uh, and I didn't have Kalistar. Uh, or anything like that, you know, to work with. I was just a rebellious spirit sort of hiding out in Delcor. Nice. And nice. so that's definitely a, um, that's a thing you can, and again, I apologize for my dog. Uh, oh, it's fine. He's a pug. He's very noisy. Um, no, he's, he's our third guest for the night. He is. He is. Third, uh, third, I'm going to call co- him Scott. Third co-host, Scott. I should say. Uh, All right. So, Good boy, Scott. <laughs> uh, so as I said, you know, that's definitely something uh, you can explore. You know, don't feel like, oh, this was something that happened once a thousand years ago and can never happen again. Right, right. Yeah. Especially in your own Eberron, you could do you know, oh, yeah, as many absolutely. Uh, Corey spirits as you'd like. So, you know, I, I do want to clarify one other thing in that, um, you know, when we talk about Zendrick, for example, and, and mm-hmm. or specifically, I should say, uh, and the war between the giants and the quarry. The, mm-hmm. These quarry are not the same quarry or the ver- same version of the quarry as those that fought the giants. That is correct. Right? So That's- just just speaking to broad history for a moment, uh, one of the things that sort of began the downfall of the Age of Giants is that they had a conflict with Dalquar. And mm-hmm. part of the point of that is that it is left somewhat vague so that you can play around with it. You know, it's as befits a war that was 40,000 years ago. Um, and so one argument is that, uh, the quarry were invaders, that they were attacking the giants. Another theory is that it was the giants who actually essentially bridged into Dalquar. Uh, and a third sort of comes between that is that the quarry reached out to the giants, uh, basically just saying, we're looking for a way to stop the, the turn of the age right. and that the giants said, oh, you're weak. We're going to crush you, um, which fits kind of with what we've seen them do with things like the Eladrin, uh, you know, um, before. So the idea is that Dalcor goes through these cycles and mm-hmm. it changes and that one way or another, the quarry of the previous age were attempting to escape you know, their destruction. Uh, and that led to a conflict with the giants. And that led to the destruction of the 13th moon and disastrous ramifications. Uh, and that in that time, you know, after that point, Dalcor went through a change uh, and became the Age of El Lashtavar. So part of the point is even the quarry don't know what that previous age was exactly like. It may be that it was an age of light and that it just goes light, dark, light, dark. It may be that it was something else. Uh, you know, but part of the point is, is that that's as much a mystery to the dreaming dark as it is, uh, to the players. Right. Right. So I think at this stage, we could probably start diving a little bit into, um, you know, what, speaking about like their psychology and their sure. culture, just sort of what that might mean for a player playing one of those, uh, playing a Kalistar. Um, and, you know, so like their psychology, for example, like we mentioned earlier about them being sort of dual minds and spirits um, with a lineage, right? Um, so the core yeah. idea of a Kalistar, when you ultimately get right down to it, is that you are fundamentally human, but you're a human who was born with this innate connection to a uh, extra planar spirit. Right. And that that has been with you since you were, you know, in the womb, in theory. And that that does have some physical 
uh, effects. You know, Kalistar have a very sort of distinct look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of the idea is that Kalistar in the third edition had a racial bonus to um, disguising themselves as humans. And part of the point of that is it was the bonus. It was a plus two bonus, which essentially offset the penalty to disguise yourself as a member of another race. And part of it is saying, ultimately, they are basically human. Uh, a lot of what makes them different is that their body language is really weird. Their whole sort of, you know, that they have this this alien spirit guiding them. And so they act just kind of alien, right. you know, because that's what feels normal to them. Um, the idea, again, to me is that you have this connection to this other spirit, but it's not that it just speaks to you. You don't just have a conversation with your connected quarry. It's that you feel it's sort of emotions and thoughts sort of shape you subconsciously. Uh, and another thing is definitely when you sleep, what you do is you dream, dream the dreams of your quarry, basically. Mm-hmm. So you don't go to Daoquar, but you have these essentially dreams made up of its memories and such. Right. And so this is something we called out in Races of Eberron is that you have these sort of things which to you feel like memories, but that are basically things that are impossible. That, you know, uh, because you've spent a lot of time, you know, again, in your mind, exploring these sort of bizarre alien worlds. Um Another way I sort of like to, to compare it is it's a little bit like the trill in uh, Star Trek, where it's, again, this idea that what you have is different people who are, you know, when you have a Kalistar, you have this combination of the unique mortal side that's then shaped by the immortal spirit. Mm-hmm. So this is the point of lineage. Uh, when a Kalistar has a child... The child basically inherits from the parent that matches its gender. And okay. so if the mother is a Kalistar uh, and the child is female, it will then be a Kalistar tied to its mother's spirit. If it's male, it will inherit from the father. If the father's a human, it'll be human. If the father's a Kalistar, it'll inherit their spirit. Uh, and so you inherit this connection. And again, that's just sort of shaping your subconscious uh, from the moment you're born. So part of it is saying when you're making a Kalistar character, what is your spirit like? What is its defining nature? And this comes to the idea that um, the quarry spirits are fundamentally tied to different things. The Sakura quarry are about fear. Uh, the Dualora are about sort of love, emotion, uh, persuasion, the, um, excuse me, that's the Hashalak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dualora are spirits of anger and rage. And part of the point to me is saying, well, what is your spirit and how does that affect you? If you're tied to a spirit of fear, it's still a positive spirit of fear. But, you know, this is where I wrote a whole article in Dragon about this, sort of saying, like, a Dualora Kalistar, you know, makes a very strong case for you could be a barbarian who's sort of driven by rage, uh, or you could be someone who's good at sort of provoking and compelling others to act in, you know, irrational, angry manners. You know, with the Sakura, do you frighten people or do you uh, know how to calm fears? You know, but it's sort of part of thinking about just what was my spirit and how does its, uh, how has that influenced me? You know, how, what of my personality reflects that connection uh, to my quarry? Right. And there was even a connection even with the names, uh, yes. like male and female names mm-hmm. uh, with respect to the, the actual quarry spirit. Uh, that's that's the idea is that the each lineage has a name and that as a Kalistar uh you attach that name uh to uh you know as a suffix to your own name. Right. right. So uh you know, Lakashta is an Ashta uh you know, Kalistar. Right. right. Uh and then you'd have, you know, Thrakashta or Tikashta or you know, um and you'd be able to say, oh, we're both Kashta. Right. Uh, and again, part of the idea is that quarry of a similar lineage can sort of recognize a commonality uh, with one another. 
Um, so, you know, that's something where the name helps, but the idea is it's relatively easy for you to spot someone else of your lineage. Right. You know, it's something I've, uh, I've played around with as well. Um, both as a gym and as a player is the idea that, you know, if you take the idea of the psi crystal, for example, mm-hmm. being a fragment of your personality, mm-hmm. we can kind of twist that a little bit and say, maybe it's a, um, a stronger manifestation of that spirit. Absolutely. Right? And which, no, which could be really fun to play. Yeah. yeah I think that's a, a definitely an interesting way to play it as a sort of focused uh, piece of your spirit. Right. And as I say, I usually deal with the Kalistar, you know, the quarry spirit sort of guiding through essentially visions mm-hmm. uh, or impulses. You know, this is going back to how dreams can affect a thing. Well, you know, a cleric may have a dream that's a vision from their god. The Kalistar may have a dream that is in some way a vision from their quarry. Nice. Uh, but that also, you know, you could have, if you have the side crystal and explain it that way, that occasionally you do either... Uh, you get sort of direct messages or you can just look at that as that's where you can have a conversation with your quarry, but it's not really your quarry. It's just like a tiny little recording of your quarry. Sure. Right. A fragment. You know, right. But, but, uh, but it's inspired by them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's an interesting way to play with that. You know, just now as you were talking, I was thinking about your warlock article mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, Oh, that'd be cool if a Kalashar could be a warlock that has a Absolutely. pact with the quarry spirit. No, I think and, that's a, that's a yeah. very logical way to play that. Yeah. And normally I don't like um, having warlocks sort of be directly in touch with like their god, as it were. But with the Kalistar, it's not. It is just an outsider. It's the same as a celestial warlock having you know contact with, a, mm-hmm. with an angel right. or something like that. So I think that's a very logical way to do it. Yeah. I forget. I did write, as I said, an article for fourth edition. And I think I did call out warlocks as that way. And oh, shamans nice. were another one that I was saying like, oh, the spirits you, con- you conjure could be. You're actually just conjuring manifestations of your quarry oh nice and that's something that we had in uh 3.5 in a couple different ways i forget there was definitely a prestige class like the quarry nightmare or something like that Mm -hmm. uh that was basically one of the things of it was sort of manifesting uh an ectoplasmic sort of shroud of your your quarry spirit yeah and i think Um, um complete sonics had something as well if i recall correctly like a couple of edges yeah um, but I, I can't remember well races of eberron had it, it probably was in races of eberron now i think about it uh okay. because races of eberron definitely had a couple of prestige classes for each um each race yeah sorry did i say edges i meant feats yeah <laughs> um yeah but you know what i mean yeah yep um cool though that's that's really cool all right um so you know, one of the things I also find intriguing because you know, the just be, they, they've moved to the material plane. They've mm-hmm. bound with lineages of of humans and have become Kalistar, but they're actually still being actively hunted and pursued by the Dreaming Dark. Because one of the things mm-hmm. that they're trying to do, um, that they being the Kalistar and and these quarry spirits, are, they're still trying to keep that turning of the age coming. Right. Through through and, uh, their religion, you know, through their through their faith and belief. And so that's the thing is you have three different sort of approaches with the Kalistar. Um, first off, just by existing, they are preserving the existence of the rebel quarry mm-hmm. and keeping them away from the Dreaming Dark. Right. So first off, Dreaming Dark uh, are happy to eliminate them just to try and reclaim their wayward spirits. Right. Uh, second... As you say, uh, they, they feel, you know, they want to promote the turn of the age, you know, where all the spirits will end up, uh, being good, even though part of the thing that's interesting about it is it does mean they'll be destroyed too. Right. Uh, which is a player, Kalistar, should you be in a position to help push it along, it's an interesting thing for you to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea is that the Kalistar of Adar largely feel like all we need to do to help with that is our meditations, our devotions, our devotion to the path of light is making that change. Right, right. Uh, whereas the Kalistar of Corvair, to a large degree, many of them feel that we need to do something more active. We need to be fighting the Dreaming Dark. Right. And so as a player, you can decide, is it something that you're part of essentially the passive resistance group? 
where where you're mainly focused on just you know following your own path are you trying to actively stop the dreaming dark uh, and turn the age or then of course the third path is to say that you weren't raised among Kalistar and that you don't actually know any of these traditions of your people um, we call you know those orphans and that's sort of the interesting point of saying well you've been shaped by the quarry spirit but you don't understand it and don't even really know that that's been going on and that's the concept that I think um, Satine is doing, correct? That is the concept that Satine is doing. And right. that was when I was on Maze Arcana, that was the whole idea was that she was going to Dao Quar. She was sort of pulled into Dao Quar after a traumatic event. And that I was her quarry spirit mm -hmm. taking this opportunity to speak to her directly. Nice. And that again, saying this isn't how this normally works. And that was part of the adventure is saying, well, when you go back, I'm not going to be able to talk to you like this anymore. Uh, but it was this whole idea of saying this is her sort of uh, getting in touch with her roots in a way that, you know, right. she hadn't. Because her she sort of really destiny, if you will, yeah. Yep. Wow. Um, so, so you touched on Path of Light, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and this being sort of their way of, um, in a very passive way, um, trying to bring about the turning through meditation and their spirituality and just trying to do good in the world in, in general. Right. And that's sort of the point is, is you've got the two ways of doing it is essentially just by saying, by being a good person, by being a beacon of light, you are advancing the wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're saying, okay, that's fine, but I'm also going to actively oppose the darkness. Right. And those are, you know, again, those two, those two roots. So, so this is something that maybe other players might struggle with. Uh, Cause I know I did. Um, Eberron, the Eberron campaign setting and, and fades of Eberron present uh, the path of light as a religion. Mm -hmm. Right. And as a, and, and that in that instance, as a divine source mm -hmm. right, of, of faith, how do you play a Kalashtar who is psionic? I mean, I know you don't have to take a psionic class per right. se, and you could just simply be a, a um, you know, cleric or Absolutely. maybe even a paladin, mm -hmm. but it feels like it sort of short changes the, the benefits of the Kalistar as a race mechanically. Well, that's sort of, again, that's the whole idea uh, of the path of light is it's both is that it is a divine force fueled by their belief and that you can interact with it as a cleric or a paladin uh, or uh, you can by follow its following its teachings, hone your own mind uh, and psionics is both harnessing your own power and channeling power from Dalcor. And so part of the idea is saying following the teachings of the Path of Light helps you develop psionic powers, but you can also just draw on, uh, you know, the energy of Ilyana mm -hmm. uh, as a divine source. And part of the point is let's not forget multiclassing. True. You know, that True. there's nothing wrong right. with someone being both uh, a cleric and a scion or a monk and a scion. And there are human worshipers, so to speak, of the path of light be, as well. Yes. Or practitioners will say. Yep. As, Certainly uh, in Adar, you know, mm -hmm. and, right. and again, it's, it's, it, that's the whole idea is it is nothing about the path of light requires you to be a quarry to get in on it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and again, part of the point is that the Kalistar are themselves largely human. They're just mm -hmm. human with a little bit extra. Um, and so, yeah, anyone can follow the path of light. It's that essentially the quarry I mean, the Kalistar are sort of touched by angels, you know, of the path of light, as it were. So they have a natural disposition to it. But it also flips around to saying there's nothing wrong with saying I'm a Kalistar who is following the blood of all, you know, where I, again, especially for those orphans. Uh, that they've never, never gotten to the path of light, you know, and they've just found some other teaching to fill that, that right, gap. Right. Um, part of what I've said before is to me, if you have a character, part of the point is that each spirit has an alignment and that doesn't force your character to be that alignment. But part of the idea is if you're radically opposed to it, that probably means you're going to be kind of mentally unstable. Hmm. If you've got a lawful good quarry spirit and you yourself are being chaotic evil, 
then basically you're at very deep odds with your own instincts and subconscious. Right. You're spiritually unbalanced at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I would play that character as a pretty, you know, unstable character. Right. A lot of internal uh, conflicts, you know. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I could do in a similar way, just saying a, you know, with a Kalistar who is following the sovereign host, you know, one of the, the points again could be like, well, I'm actually like a kind of manic and over the top about it in part because there's part of me that, that wants me to go a different way. Right. And I'm sort of ignoring that little voice. I've got my own path. Right, right. Or I could you see know. a Kalistar who's strictly, you know, in, in the mechanical sense, purely a monk um, right. and is ignoring that spiritual side sure, and is struggling in that way as well. Yeah. And similarly, this comes back to a lot of what I write about on reflavoring classes is you can also have a monk and just uh, cosmetically flavor things like your increased unarmed damage as not, uh, you know, just pure martial arts skill. Uh, but I am actually like manifesting my glory shroud around me, you know, or something like that. Yeah, it's um, funny you mentioned that because uh, in three five I played a Kalistar who uh, you know, and, and leads into the next thing that I was going to talk about is the Path of Shadows, um, where it's blending martial arts and meditation yes, and, um, and artistic expression through dance. Paizo with uh, I forget what the name of the supplement was, but they had a um, was it the Battle Dancer. Mm-hmm. Where it was basically that sort of cup where a style martial arts, you know, dance type martial arts. Right. Um, and, and I had her doing that. You that know, makes, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but also like just looking at fifth edition, you have like the elemental, uh, adept monk and like mm-hmm. one of their moves is fist of the fire snake. Oh, nice. Uh, which lets you attack 10 feet away and do fire damage with an unarmed attack. Oh, nice. And I would totally, if I had a player who's playing a Kalashar wanted to do that, I would totally let them take that ability but do psychic damage instead of fire damage. Right. And say that this is, again, sort of I manifest like the claws of a Sakura quarry that whip across and, you know, strike fear into the heart of my foe. Well, you know, even even if you stuck with the fire thing, that could be like a pyrokineticist. Oh, sure. Yeah, easily. I mean, you could go, uh, you know, any numbers of, way, uh, yeah. of ways with it. Yeah. Um, but that's all I'm saying is, is to me, I very much encourage people when playing with an unusual concept. Again, you know, I'm a Kalistar monk and I want to be playing that up. Uh, talk with your game master and sort of just think about how can I keep the same mechanical ability but flavor it in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. You know, how do I look different than a different monk? Right, right. Sort of trapping, if you will. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Um, so you, you, you know, talked so about... Oh, go ahead. I would just say one more point on that is that, again, comes back to the idea of like a barbarian and saying you could have a barbarian who's a Dulora uh, Kalistar and say, again, that normally I am this very, like, again, go barbarian monk as a dual class and normally I'm this very austere stable person and that when I rage it is that I'm channeling the rage of the Delora. oh nice and like becoming this sort of avatar of fury right but that again it's not that I am a barbarian it's that I'm touching this this spirit of you know fury and anger invoking it yeah yep mm-hmm. yeah that's cool that's really cool yeah and uh uh, alignment restrictions be damned in third edition. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you know, it's, it's obviously a thing that ever on we're, we're pretty lax on our alignment restrictions. Right. You know, but. that's an interesting point. And, and, and I don't want to dwell too much on that. Everyone really focuses on the um, good versus evil, you know, gray area thing, mm-hmm. but the law chaos thing isn't talked about as much. And so it's not talked about as much. It's true. Uh, because to me, I generally have an easier time sort of fitting people into that uh, that rubric, right. as it were. You know, part of the whole point of Eberron is saying we never want detect evil to solve your problem for you. Right. And that because detect evil exists, if all evil people were somehow irredeemably bad, uh, we'd have gotten rid of them. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, so presumably it doesn't work that way. And whereas uh, Long Chaos is a little, it's a little more of that sort of, okay, this guy likes, you know, likes things to be in an orderly fashion. Uh, and this person is more impulsive and uh, hates to be sort of confined. And so it's sort of a little less 
so to speak, morally loaded than true and evil. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Um, especially because I like to point out that like, I very much consider goblins to be a very inherently lawful species. Mm -hmm. But my point is that doesn't mean they're going to follow your laws. It means they like having a hierarchy, a structure. Uh, but again, that doesn't mean they feel obliged to not jaywalk when they come to your town. They're just well, like, yeah, jaywalk is a gang. And I think I think that's actually a really crucial point. And I think we're getting into a different discussion here. But <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, with law, that's really more order than yep. laws of man. To me, it's you know order and discipline and structure. Yeah. Uh, as exactly. opposed, you know, and this is the thing is even though we don't tie any race to any alignment, you know, my whole general thing is saying goblins are more lawful and orcs are more chaotic. Yeah. And that is why overall throughout history, you see goblins building empires and orcs living in tribes. Right. They've just never had this impulse to build something bigger uh, because they're comfortable in, you know, working in small groups. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So we talked a little bit about um, Kalashar from Sarlana versus mm -hmm. in Corvair or even like the orphaned Kalashtar. Um and I and I think that's that brings up a good point regarding the communities of Kalashtar. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, very obviously in Adar, you're going to have the more passive Kalashtar that exists there, um, that are simply focusing on the path of light and 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 uh, you know their meditation. And, um, and to me, part of the point about those people is it's not that they just don't care. It's that they are saying this is the right path to take. Right, they exactly. will encourage other people to, you know, find a place of peace. Uh, you know, they don't like conflict at all. So it's not that they're just right. saying, oh, we shouldn't fight. They'll try and, and mediate and stop other conflicts too. Right. You know, they're I just mean, basically they saying violence is not the answer. They certainly defend themselves from region invasions. Absolutely. Least, so, yeah. uh, but that's the point: is it's saying that they don't like violence for the sake of violence. They like to find nonviolent solutions to things. Right. But then Whereas, when we when we think about well, like oh, I was gonna say when we think about like the community in Sharn, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know an overlook, uh, which is Upper Dura, or in Upper Dura. Um, you know, they're very much about, you know, raising their Kalashtar uh, youths and, and such, but also sort of harboring those those spiritual warriors right. as well. And that's the point is that, well, you got to have a safe haven, mm -hmm. uh, but that they're willing to be a, a sort of outpost for the, you know, those who are being more active. Right, right. Uh, and so that's, you know, going back to as a player. These are the things I would say when you're making your Kalistar character is first off, think about your spirit. You know, what was its alignment? What was its sort of, again, Kalistar spirits sort of usually fall along an emotional spectrum. Uh, what was the, the emotion of your spirit and how does that reflected in either your abilities or your nature? Uh, and then beyond that, what is your connection to other Kalistar? Uh, do you have no collection and you know you're not sort of part of that culture? Uh, are you sort of an activist trying to get out in the world and actively fight the dreaming dark? Mm -hmm. uh, or are you um, doing uh, you know sort of again more peaceful? And to me, as I said, if you're following the Adaran route, well, one thing is you're presumably not just sitting uh, in a temple somewhere. But to me, if you're following the Adaran path, it means that you're more about trying to uh, soothe conflicts than cause right. them. Right. You know, you're still trying to be a, a beacon of light. You're just trying to do it in preferably a nonviolent way. Right. Now, the other thing that often comes up is that people um, – uh, often sort of say, well, why don't the Kalistar run around and tell the world? Why aren't they shouting from the treetops that uh, the Dreaming Dark is here? Everybody, everybody gather together and stop them. Well, yeah, I mean, but, but they can't understand the depth and, and complexity of this war. And that's the thing is that they're saying it's, it's very much the men in black. Mm -hmm. Their opinion is we're the ones who are capable of handling this problem. We understand it. We, you know, causing mass hysteria is actually just going to add to the problem. Uh, and that, that this is, you know, even the, the Kalistar who are fighting against it, you know, uh, basically still feel 
that uh, that it's about focused action, not just trying to cause panic. Right. Um, so, you know, basically, they might work with a paladin of the Silver Flame. But, you know, they're not they're they're again also on a certain level suspicious of other forces out there. Certainly, you know, certainly. Uh, the silver flame could very much look at them and say, well, you're some kind of alien possessing spirit, you know, so there's there's a certain amount of of caution. You know, so I, I think we're making pretty good time on this. Um, mm-hmm. Do we want to delve in real quickly then, uh, speaking of the shadow war and such into mm-hmm. GMs and how they can incorporate some of these elements in the campaign? Sure. Okay. So, you know, like you just mentioned the shadow war. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of a cool element because it doesn't have to necessarily be the focus of your campaign, right? It could just be something that's happening, mm-hmm. um, on the sidelines, um, maybe as a subplot for a Kalistar, um, player character in, in, in the group. Um, but I think it could easily be like a major factor, like the, like maybe what the campaign is about without necessarily having a completely psionics, um, party. Right. Uh, no, absolutely. And, and this is the thing is to me, if you're going to involve the dreaming dark, uh, one of the things that you want to think about is what is their plan? Right. Uh, because to me, the, the thing that their plan is very unlikely to be is Redra invading Corvair. Because that's not what they want to do and it doesn't serve their purpose. Uh, what the, um, uh, what they did in Sarlona was they generated a civil war and then they basically inserted themselves as the saviors who brought the war to an end. Right. And so that they rose up with everyone saying, you're the heroes. Of course we'll follow you. This is only natural. Whereas if they tried to enforce Redrin, uh, beliefs onto Corvair, it would be a huge, you know, it would never work. It would be the classic what happens when you you have an occupying power. You know, you just have constant resistance and chaos and such like that. So basically, they are all about essentially convincing civilizations to put their own chains on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the logical path there is that they're going to pick some force in Corvair to be their figurehead. You know, who will be the inspired of Corvair? Uh, and there's already a strong case to be made that they could have started the last war right. by manipulating uh, the the heirs, giving them dreams of, you know, power and uh, their rightful claims to the throne. But that if that were the case, they probably had an endgame that somehow involved someone ending up being the heroes of the piece that would be the new uh, the new inspired. Right. And you could easily say, is that a Dragonmark house? Is that one of the the branches, you know, the royalty of one of the five nations? Uh, but I'd certainly say, you know, you want to think about who are their puppets, you know, that even when you fight sort of full-on agents of the Dreaming Dark, they're going to be using agents uh, who are hidden in the world. And so I would definitely start by picking an agency and saying, who's compromised? You know, who are their tools uh, in this campaign? Right. And the interesting fact is that they actually have two fronts with which they can, you know, um, I guess, do these manipulations. Yep. One being the region ambassadors who right. are traveling to Corvair and interacting with these uh, in these courts. Mm-hmm. And the other being the actual, um, like, quarry spirits that are manipulating through dream. And and that's exactly my thing is I personally never have the region ambassadors involved in anything bad. Mm-hmm. To me, it is always the frustration of the players knowing, okay, these guys are supporting the bad things, but never them never getting their hands dirty. Oh, right. And so they seem like fantastic people to everybody exactly, else. Exactly. They're so yeah. nice. You know, and you know that's that's crap and their spirits are manipulating the dreams of the local street gang, or again, that you have outright agents of the the dreamy dark. Uh, but again, the ambassador can say, Well, pff, that's some kind of terrorist. I don't even know who that guy is. Right. You know, um but as you say, the point of manipulation is you can have the straight up I'm a psychic ninja uh sort of inspired psychic warrior mm-hmm. you know who you're fighting but also it can be about manipulating folks and they've got the two ways of doing it they can manipulate through dream 
So again, you just have the local crazy who thinks that, uh, you know, Galifar is speaking to him and telling him, uh, what he needs to do. Um, and then you also have what are, what's called mind seeding, where they basically right. implant a quarry personality into right. a person. And you have, of course, the third option too of anyone can voluntarily allow a quarry to possess them. So basically you can start with that local crazy. And they manage to convince him to be possessed. And then you have sort of a mini inspired, as it were. Right. Uh, but then you also have mind seeds, which means that any organization, you can say, oh, well, you know, in this local branch of House Deneath, uh, they mind seeded the head of the house. And so again, not all the members of the house even completely understand, you know, they're not quarry agents. They're just doing what their boss says. Right. Right. Uh, and so can you expose or locate the people who are actually possessed uh, or actually mind-seated as opposed to just the people who are going along with what those people tell them to do? And that that leads back to, you know, from the player perspective, where a Kalistar can never really feel safe because they don't know who right. is either consciously or, or unknowingly yep. uh, is working for the Dreaming Dark. Yeah, it's, it's completely um, and And again um, – you know, that's sort of the thing that to me, you know, that's sort of fun and interesting. At the same time, it's entirely up to you as the game master. And this is something that I would talk to my game master about if I'm playing a Kalistar. Mm-hmm. Um, is uh, how involved, do you, how big do you want that threat to be? Right. right. Like if I'm just like, I just want to be a cool psychic warrior. Can we Can we not have that? be a huge thing it's fine you know then again as long as you and the game master are on the same page that's great on the other hand i also kind of love that whole cold war i'm fighting this secret war and who can i trust and who anyone could be corrupted right you know to me that's kind of a fun sort of you know tinker taylor soldier spy uh sort of scenario and and it's just making sure that you and the game master are on the same page as to what that's going to be like right right you know, and just a side note, um, you know, I remember when I first saw the film Inception yep. and the idea of Inception, now some people mis- misunderstand what the word Inception was actually about. It's not about the recursive dreaming thing, hmm. but it was about the idea of planting the idea, the seed of an yep. idea through yep. dream. And I was and, like, that's what it is. That's what and, they're doing. You know? And it's funny to me because that is literally Inception basically is if you made a movie out of my over the edge thing that I wrote 20 years ago, uh, is that was exactly what, and it was a modern day scenario and it was exactly what they're all about. And that is exactly the kind of thing that the quarry can do is yes, they can, uh, concretely mind seed someone, but more than that, it's about planting ideas. And that's the whole idea of saying they could have caused the last war. They could have done that just by, by constantly planting dreams of how Galifar would be under your rule as the rightful king, you know, right. and just basically stoking ambition. And if you look at it, there's nothing obvious that you would look at it and say, well, it's impossible that someone could think those things. It just means you're an ambitious heir. Right. You know, you don't have to be possessed or altered, but they can push. And, and that's the kind of thing where that's not necessarily going to be. It's, it's like, Inception talks about it's not a fine thing. It's just planting that idea, destroy your father's business. And, uh, you know, you don't know exactly how he's going to act on it or exactly what he's going to do. You're just getting the idea there and setting that in motion. And largely, I feel that's the kind of thing the Dreaming Dark does is it pushes general concepts. Right. Uh, but then when they want they can dig deeper and do the full mind seed. Right. You know, there's nothing to say too, that they can't um, leverage when we, sorry, I'm going to go back into the planar cosmology where you have planes coming into coterminous and remote States. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's nothing to say that they can't leverage that as well. Where during a certain, you know, planar phase or whatever um, they say, okay, no, you know, now's the time for us to, you know, do X, right? Mm-hmm. So Shavaroth, for example, being coterminous with, yes. with, um, with the material plane, uh, that could have been their opportunity to say, let's, let's create a war. And exactly. And, uh, it is important to note that this is one of the big things about Eberron 
is you often can say, well, there's so many big, powerful forces out there. You know, how do we accomplish anything? One of the things is to say they don't all, you know, have the same goals. Right. The, uh, the Dreaming Dark doesn't want the Dalkir to rise and throw everything into chaos. They don't want overlords to rise. Uh, so they'll actually potentially help a party of adventurers that's fighting the Lords of Dust. You know, not obviously necessarily. Uh, but part of the thing is why doesn't the Dreaming Dark, if it's so vast, once we sort of get on its radar and screw up a bunch of its plans, why doesn't it come after us? You know, how can we deal with something that big and powerful? And part of the point there is, you know, they may rather have you around as sort of known tools that they can point in other directions. Uh, but also part of the idea to me is that they are... I sort of like to say that a, a member of the Dreaming Dark is like someone who's playing chess in a park with 10 different boards. Mm. And they're going from board to board and, and making a move and moving on. And that they don't expect all of their plans to work. Right. And, you know, when you, when you beat them in one place, they're just like, oh, lost that game, moving on. And when you beat them again... They're going to be like, huh, that guy looked kind of familiar. Moving on. And that, you know, eventually you're going to get to a point where, yes, you, you know, you are going to have to say, how are we avoiding, you know, being targeted and things like that. Uh, but that especially the first couple times, they are just, again, they have their fingers all over the place. Right. And... Uh, any particular scheme is undoubtedly important to the, you know, that one person. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to bear in mind that especially with the main agents of the Dreaming Dark, they have multiple host bodies, you know, that even killing one of their hosts, well, they've got, you know, if you're one of the main inspired in Redra, you have a family of hosts. Right, right. Um, and that that's part of the thing I also like to think about with Inspired. One of the reasons I like Inspired as villains is because it's the Doctor Doom scenario. Even if the players kill everybody they encounter, killing an Inspired is just a temporary thing because he can always come back in another body. Right, hence the, the purpose of the Chosen. Right. right. And that so they make very good recurring villains. Um, and that, again, it's not as sort of an earth shattering thing to them, you know, defeat their immortal spirits. Uh, they have multiple bodies, you know, you killing them was really just kind of an inconvenience. It's right. annoying. Um, you know, the other advantage and, that they have too, is that, you know, in, in the plane of dreams, time is slower. Yes, so they have yes, a lot is. of time to plan. And that's, and that is the whole idea of, you know, that is the sort of point is that uh, your typical inspired is popping around in our world um, if they just take one hour off, uh, that's like basically a day for them to go check back in, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with everybody and make other plans and things like that. Right. And, uh, and meanwhile, again, they just do look at things at a really long scale because they have a lot of time. Right. Um, while at the same time, they also have this lurking fear of could it all end tomorrow? Right. Um, and one of the points is that's one of the things we call out in Secrets of Sharlona is that there's a faction within the dream, you know, within the, the quarry that basically asserts, we think we're good. We think that Redra has stabilized things for us and we don't actually need to conquer Corvair or something like that. So that's where you have this potential, again, sympathetic inspired if you want them is they're still out for protecting their, uh, you know, their people, but they don't necessarily think that that has to be continued subjugation of everyone else. Interesting. Cool. And that I think is uh, the thousand eyes. We've called out that the leader of the thousand eyes is sort of part of that faction. That's right. That's right. Um, Shara Duna, I think yeah. is her name. And I don't want to delve into this too deeply, but also in the secrets of Salona, they talk about changeling agents, which I think yeah. is also, you know, incredibly threatening. Well, and, they could be anybody, you know. Yeah, and, and that's part of the idea of building a religion, mm -hmm. which is essentially what the Inspired did, is they have this idea that, 
you do well in this life, and it's essentially a cycle of reincarnation that ultimately ends up with you becoming an enlightened spirit, which then inspires people. So right. that's what the inspired are, is they're right. guided by our greatest enlightened spirits. And what they do is they sort of assert changelings as the step beyond human. That, you know, as humans, you're sort of playing through different lives and personalities. And as a changeling, you've taken a step beyond that. And now you're disconnecting from any one life. And now you can be anything, you know. Right. Uh, and it's the same concept as the bugbears in Dakan of essentially saying, we're going to take a force that could be dangerous and essentially put it on a pedestal so that it likes the status quo. You know, mm-hmm. since we've told all our changelings, oh, we're going to treat you like, you know, you're the, the, the just the step below the inspired, uh, then you're less likely to be leading rebellions against us. Right. Right. Well, Keith, I think we covered everything. Uh, I think we could go on endlessly, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, think we've covered all the the critical um, the critical paths. And, and again, just to summarize, as a Kalistar player, make sure you and your game master have the same idea of sort of where the, you know, how the shadow war will affect you. Think about your spirit and how that has affected your character and mm-hmm. how it might manifest in your class abilities. Right. And think about, uh, how connected you are to other Kalistar. Uh, and as a game master, think about how you want the Dreaming Dark to manifest. Uh, do you have particular agents that they are using or organizations that they're subverting? Um, and do you have especially a particular agent you want to use? Because that's the point to me is since the Dreaming Dark have such a strong potential for recurring villains, really think about who is the agent of the Dreaming Dark you want your players to get to know. Right. You know. Right. And yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, I think probably in, in some future episode, we might delve more into, um, the dreaming dark as a threat or Redra or Salona mm-hmm. in general and, and, um, you know what we can do with that. But, uh, but I think as far as Kalistar, I think, yeah, I think that covers everything, uh, or not everything, but the nuts and bolts at least. Enough. Enough. It covers enough. Yes. Yes. All right. Uh, well, well, uh, yeah. Thanks again, Keith. And, um, anything, any last minute thoughts? No. Uh, okay. Great. Hopefully we'll have the full team next time. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Sorry, uh, Scott and Wayne that you weren't able to join us. So hopefully, hopefully next time. So, uh, thank you for listening and be sure to visit our website at manifest.zone where you can find subscription links to our show and post comments on an episode. You can find links to Google plus Twitter and Facebook pages, uh, whatever option you prefer. Let us know what you think of the show. Um, including leaving an iTunes review. If you'd like, uh, join us next time when we, uh, talk about what are we, what are we going to talk about next time? Keith, that is a good question. We'll leave it. Uh, should we leave it as a mystery? I think we should leave it as a mystery because I can good. throw out a topic, but I want to think about it. Yeah. Let's think about that one for a little bit. Uh, if you've if you've got requests, feel free to to post them on our Facebook page. Or, I have a feeling. Uh, send them in as comments. I have a feeling people are going to have requests. Yeah. So, so let us know All what right. you want to see. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, until next time, keep exploring.